Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and how to order CDs from the recent OA birthday party, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ida. Hi, my name is Ida. I'm a compulsive reader. I've been an abstaining member of Overeaters Anonymous for 34 years, and yeah, and uh, I maintain a 110-pound weight loss. I've been been passing for normal for 33 years, and um, I'm very happy to be here. I'm on the classic speakers list. I just love that. I'm a classic. <laughs> and, and since I just turned 64 this week, I really do feel like a classic. OA and I share the same natal birthday, January 19th, so, um, so the birthday party is always special for me. I uh, thank people for coming to my party. Anyhow, so I was... I hadn't... Uh, I hadn't considered what I was going to talk about tonight, which is pretty normal for me, but I thought at the last minute I better, I thought I might look for some inspiration, so I picked up my OA 12 and 12. And before I begin, I'd like to make a pitch for the OA 12 and 12. It took me 33 years to discover OA literature. Uh, Before that, I had virtually nothing to do with OA literature. I had read the OA 12 and 12, but I hadn't thought anything of it. I I don't remember when I read it the first time. And a little over a year ago, I was at a retreat, and the um, and the people that led the retreat obviously had such a love of the OA 12 and 12, and they had what I wanted. And so, because they uh, were using it in their in their presentations, I decided that I would give it a shot. And so I went out and I bought myself a new copy of the OA 12 and 12, which I periodically do with the big book. Every once in a while, I just buy a new copy and read it from scratch especially if I'm in deep shit or if I'm <laughs> sick and tired of the program, uh, which happens because, you know, any, as in any relationship, it, you're not always in love, let's face it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and, um, the, and, you know, when you read, read what, when you read a book that you've already underlined, uh, I don't know about you, but what I do is I read what I've underlined. And, you know, there's a lot of connective tissue between the parts that... Uh, I've underlined, so I bought a new copy of the OA 12 and 12 and read it from scratch and fell in love. It is a fabulous book. So I picked it up, and I just opened it, and I said, okay, inspiration. And would you know it, I ended up on Tradition 1, not exactly where I would go looking for a topic for a pitch, but I found it. And I'm just going to read you the first two paragraphs from Tradition 1 from the OA 12 and 12. We compulsive overeaters have lived most of our lives in isolation. Many of us preferred to be alone so we could overeat without interference. Even when we were surrounded by other people, it became progressively difficult for us to connect with them as our obsession with food, body size, and eating grew. 
Some of us felt like failures whenever we had to seek help from anyone outside ourselves. Our desire to live free of compulsive eating has forced us to change these attitudes. Recovery began for most of us when we got out of isolation and into an OA group. Here we discovered we were never meant to live alone. I don't know that it's said better than in those two paragraphs. And I was um, making a desperate attempt to live alone before I came into Old Readers Anonymous. And I'm sitting there before the meeting and I was thinking about the snapshot that describes how alone I was. And actually, my, my snapshot happened to me in program. I, I called Overeaters Anonymous April 16, 1975. And my story, and some of you I, I know and you've heard it before, but you know what? It's the same one I had, I've had for all these years, so I'm stuck with it. Um, and uh, I called Overeaters Anonymous and no one answered because it was after hours and there were no answering machines in 1975. And I got up the next day and I started to abstain anyhow. And that was it. And I haven't had a relapse. Never had to come to a meeting eating. Uh, I've only had to adjust my food down once in 34 years. Well, after, after I lost my weight, I should say. Uh, and that was about 25 years ago. So... I went off to, to uh, work that day. I was uh, a teacher, and a woman at work uh, had been losing weight like crazy, and so I was avoiding her like crazy, as we, you know we do. And cause, you know, I'm going up, and she's coming down, and I, I'm trying to stay away from her. But she was sitting, she sat down uh, next to me at lunch that day, and um, recognized my diet, lunch, and uh, brought it up. And I told her I was going to lose some weight, and she went off and then came back a couple, couple of minutes later, sat down, and, and suggested to me, why don't I try Overeaters Anonymous? And uh, I didn't, I had never heard the words out loud from anybody in my life. I was 12-step by Dear Abby, you know, not by another person. And uh, so uh, on my first day of abstinence, I was 12-stepped. And she brought me the list of meetings from Los Angeles. Uh, she lived in Los Angeles, and I thought that was going to be a waste of time because I knew I was never going to drive all the way to Los Angeles for a meeting. I lived in Alhambra at the time. And I was thrilled today when it only took us 50 minutes to get here. You know, <laughs> uh, The first year in program, I doubled the mileage on my car. My, you know, my yearly mileage, mileage doubled. But anyhow... So I went to my first meeting on a Sunday night, and I was so alone. And uh, I had to climb the stairs, you know, because it was upstairs like this meeting. And people up there, I could hear the laughter. God, it was just like in the big book. You know, the laughter and the friendship. And I'm going, oh, I wanted to choke. And, and I, uh, but I... I walked off into the shopping center and I was looking in the windows and I kept looking at my reflection in the windows. When I came into the program, I weighed 225 pounds, and my, but my top weight was 240. So I barely make it as a 100-pounder. And I kept looking in the, at my reflection and I knew that I had to do this. And so I climbed those stairs and a man with a beard gave me a... Uh, 
hug. Oh my God! And uh, I um, I went in there and I immediately latched on to three women. No, two women I knew from uh, the gym. I had had a temporary recovery a couple years before I came into OA, going to a, a gym, and uh, these women were there. At, a, at an OA meeting, <laughs> and I, uh, I latched onto them, and I, uh, they were my, uh, the wall I put up between uh, me and the other people in the meeting, because I knew them, so I, I just stayed with them. And I didn't talk to anybody, I didn't, I didn't get any phone numbers, I didn't make any contact, I didn't buy a big book. I didn't do anything my first five months in this program but abstain from compulsive overeating and lose 50 pounds. And I was still incredibly, incredibly alone. So I was uh, going to the, um, the Sunday night Alhambra meeting at the time, which is, was one of the classic meetings in Overeaters Anonymous, and people from four, five different counties would come to that meeting on a Sunday night. And it was only a couple blocks away from my apartment. And uh, I was eating dinner about 4.30 in the afternoon, which was normal for me. And uh, I don't know what happened, but the next thing I knew, I was laying in my bed, covered with vomit. And close to an hour had passed by, and I had no recollection of what had happened. And I truly, I, I had vomit in my hair, vomit on the bed, vomit on the floor. I had thrown up in a blackout. And I'm, I'm amazed I didn't choke on it and die that night. And I lay there in the, on the bed, and I couldn't move. I was so sick I couldn't move my hand. And I could hear the clock ticking away and dinging the hours, and I kept thinking, I need to go to my meeting but if, whenever I tried to move my hand, I thought I was going to die. And I'm laying there, and I'm getting a total sense of my powerlessness. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. And it occurred to me that I had been in Overeaters Anonymous for five months, and if I died that night, nobody would miss me. And about nine o'clock... I got up and I made it to my sofa and I lay down on my sofa and I called my sister who lived in Bakersfield. I'm in Alhambra. She's in Bakersfield. A lot of help she's going to be, you know. But she was the only person on the planet that I felt I could call. There was nobody within driving distance of me that I felt I could call. I was alone. And the next day I went to the doctor. I found out I had a blood infection. I was put on medication. That Wednesday night, I was still not well. But I drove to the Alano Club in Covina, where I knew there was a woman who was a member of both programs, who had been recommended to me as maybe somebody who could sponsor me. And I got myself a sponsor. And I started calling her every day. And that was the beginning of my coming out of isolation. When she told me to call her every day, I just looked at her and I thought, well, how does she know that I'm not calling anybody? <laughs> and she didn't know that. But, and 
She told me that trying didn't count. Mm-hmm. Trying yeah. didn't count. I think try. I think uh, the the word try or the phrase "I'm trying" or "I'll try" is really kind of sad because that means we're not doing it. Because if we're doing it, we don't have to say we're trying. So I started calling this woman every day, and she was crazy, and she was, um, like I said, a member of OA and AA, and uh, she had much more commitment to AA than she did to OA. And she had been a fall-down drunk. Uh, She was socially beneath me, like, that matters in this program, you know. And, you know, she was a community college dropout and... And I was a graduate of the California State College System, you know, and um, Fresno State, to be more exact. You know. And I, well, anyhow, and she um, she started dragging me around to the first night. Okay, on Wednesday nights, I was with her at a, an AA step study. And then on Friday nights, I was with her at an AA speaker meeting. So I was going to at least two or three AA meetings and one OA meeting a week for several months after I got her. And she, the first night I went to that Friday night meeting, there was a party afterwards for a, a sobriety birthday, and she dragged me to it. And before I knew it, they knew that wherever she was, I was going to be walking right behind her. And I was, go- and of course, you know, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, everybody is eating like crazy. So I learned to bring a six pack of Seven Up because. Well, I don't didn't eat that late at night, and besides that, I have discovered, you know, you cannot trust an alcoholic to feed you right, period. And so, uh, I actually, I actually went to a potluck once where an alcoholic brought donuts to a dinner potluck. I just, well, anyhow. So this woman, and this woman did all of the talking. She didn't want to hear what I had to say because I didn't know anything. She she used to call me a dummy newcomer, which was exactly what I was. And she would do it and smile. Oh, you dummy newcomer. Okay, I was a dummy newcomer. Uh, She had the big book. I didn't. She knew the big book. I didn't. So I got to listen. It really was one of those things, you know, you used to hear it all the time, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. And that is what I did. And and the more I listened to her talk, the, the more courage I developed to open my mouth and let the truth out. Okay? And I, I knew that I had made it in her circle of friends when I got my personal invitation to a sobriety birthday once without her. And I thought, I have arrived. I have arrived. <laughs> I was no longer seen as, you know, her appendage. <laughs> but I was not done experiencing the, uh, the loneliness. Okay, I got her in September as my, as my sponsor. And that's following New Year's was my first New Year's in program and I had been 
alone the five previous New Year's. You know, New Year's was the big date night. Well, I never dated. I never dated before I came into program. And I didn't date afterwards either. I met John and that was it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and I, you know what? I haven't missed it at all. And I don't think I missed that much because from what I hear, it can be a rather scary process. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, just, I'm just perfectly glad I didn't have to do that dating thing before I met the man to whom I've been married for 30 years, you know. I'll take doing it right the first time. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was facing my first New Year's in program. I was down to a size 13. And um, my sponsor said, spend the day with me. And that was perfectly fine with me. So that afternoon on New Year's Eve day, we went to an OA meeting together. And then we hung out, and she was going to a, a potluck that night. And I wanted to, um, well, she said, come come with me. And I said, okay. And we picked up our food items. I decided to bring my own uh, again because I didn't, I didn't know what they were going to be serving, and I wasn't going to risk um, not being able to eat properly. And so I had my own food, and she had her item for the potluck. And uh, we were at a uh, Alcathon thing. And uh, during the during the meeting, something came up, and I realized that this party that we were going to that night was by invitation, and I hadn't been invited, which meant I was going to crash a party. Now, people, I'm a goody two shoes. I have been a goody two shoes all of my life. Uh, and early on because I was afraid of going to hell and later on because I just didn't want somebody saying, you're not supposed to be here, and I am, you know, whatever. So I, I started to panic and I decided I was going to go home. And I ran out of the meeting and my sponsor came running after me, and I do mean running through the parking lot after me, and I got in my car and I shut the door, and I was ready to go home, and I believe to this day that if I had left that night, I would not be here tonight, because I was facing the loneliest night of the year. I just, I just believe in my heart that if she hadn't come running after me, I would have gone home, I would have eaten, and I would not have come back because I believe that I'm one of those who would not come back. I get one shot at this. And I know that's not the standard um, thing you hear from the podium, but I'm, I believe I'm, I have one shot. So she's pounding on the door, Ida, Ida, let me in, let me in. And I'm going, oh, and she's going, Ida, my food's in there, let me in. I have to get my... <laughs> oh, my God. So I had to let her get her food. <laughs> and I opened the door, and she jumps in. And she starts to talk to me. And she starts to talk to me about how she knows how it feels to be lonely. 
and it's just as tradition one describes it. And she calms me down, and she says, come back in with me. And I went back in with her, and uh, then we drove over to this party, and I knocked on the door, and uh, the host opened the door, and I said, hi, I'm crashing. And he said, oh, good. And he came, he let me in. Now, I'm at, it's 8 o'clock at night. It's past my dinner time, right? So they decide to have a meeting before they eat. And we're sitting around, and it comes my turn, and I'm the only plain compulsive overeater in the room. And I said out loud, my name is Ida, I'm a compulsive overeater, and this is the first New Year's Eve I haven't been alone in five years. And they just, they smiled and they nodded. And I can't remember anything else I said. So this meeting ends around 11 o'clock. So it's 11 o'clock and we're going to eat. And so I go into the kitchen and I get my food. And I've got this beautiful plate of food. And then they, they've got their potluck. And there was plenty of stuff. that I could have done dinner there. But, I, I mean, I'm really good in the kitchen, folks. And, and I had this great dinner with me. And I go walking out. And they're going, mm-hmm. where, where did she get that? Where did she get that? And there was none for them. And I do not share. <laughs> and so, so we ate dinner. And I don't leave a bite for God either. Where did that come from? <laughs> well, anyway, so we ate, and then it's, it got close to midnight. And um, that day had been such progress for me. But I had to take a break at midnight. And I went into the bathroom, and I stayed there until after 12. I had done as much as I could do that day. And then afterwards, I went out, and I got in the circle, and uh, we said a prayer. And I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone on, on New Year's Eve. I was alone on New Year's Day. But it didn't make any difference. I made it through New Year's Eve, and I abstained that day. And so this past uh, New Year's Eve, I had my 35th abstinent New Year's Eve. And my husband and I were in bed at 8.30 at night <laughs> because we're old, you know, and tired. And, and uh, we go to bed early. <laughs> and if, I, if you had asked me at 3.30 if this was what I was going to be talking about tonight, this was not on my agenda but I opened the book and there it was so now I know that if um, if I died I would be missed and you know what that's all I really want is to be missed <laughs> you know Maxine at the birthday party talked about what she wanted on her stone uh was that you know she made a difference, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I that that's good. And I but I also went down, and she is missed, you know. 
uh, I am no longer alone. Like I said, I've been married for 30 years. I've, I have somebody I've been sponsoring for 24 years. 24 years. I was at a, a friend's, uh, well, actually, somebody I sponsored her house a couple of weeks ago, and there were a group of um, abstinent and sober women there. And, and one of uh, the sober women who does not share our problems says, don't you got, you know, I just don't care about eating. I've been, I'm 30. I've been eating three meals a day now for 30 years. I'm tired of it. Don't you guys get tired of it? And we looked at each other and said, no. And then it suddenly occurred to me that that young woman wasn't born when I came into OA. And some of you were not born when I came into OA. And I came in when I was 29. That seems to be a magical year. There are a lot of people that I've met who come who came in when they were 29. You know, the big 3-0 is on the horizon. I had no picture of me living past 30. I I sort of assumed I was going to die young. I wanted to die young. And here I was. I had read about Dear Ab and Dear Abby um, hmm, a year and a half before, but I couldn't come because of uh, the God stuff. And I, um, but I simply got to the point on April 16, 1975, that I had suffered enough, and that's why I was able to call. And that's why I've continued to abstain. I've had uh, a couple amazing things happen to me, uh, or not happen to me, but said to me. I once had a woman come up to me and say, uh, Oh, Ida, if you're suffering enough, you'll eat. <coughs> Implying that it was easy for me that there was nothing going on in my life, and that uh, if if the shit hit the fan, I would eat. And I went back to the, uh, the woman who 12-stepped me, and I told her what this woman had said, and she said, oh, no, the woman has it backwards. She said, uh, you've abstained because you've suffered enough. And after uh, about five years of abstinence, a woman came up to me at a meeting and told me that I was doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Now, never mind that she had a week and I had five years, putting that aside. Um, But here's why she said I was doing it wrong. She said I was doing it wrong because I weighed and measured my food. And that wasn't trusting God. I kid you not, that woman said that to me. And the next week she came up and apologized. But I have been, I do weigh and measure my food. When I came into program, there were two camps. There was the moderate mealers, sort of centrally located on the west side, and then there were the gray sheeters in Orange County. And and I'm going, oh my God, uh, I weigh and measure ice cream. Where does that put me? And it... It didn't put me, by the way, I still weigh and measure ice cream 34 years later, and it didn't put me in either camp. So what happened was I kept my mouth shut for um, a, a long time about how I ate because nobody was doing it like me. And then because Sunday night on Hamburg, nobody talked about food. And I didn't know that there were people doing all kinds of interesting different things. And uh, I, I uh, so I just, I, I kept my mouth quiet about food and I kept my mouth quiet about my God's concept for a lot of years because it was not the standard 
story or the standard line. You know, I was I weighed and measured everything that went into my mouth except what I ate in restaurants. Uh, but I didn't abstain from sugar and flour. And then for a lot of years, I uh, uh, my God concept was uh, that of a personal God, but a non-intervening God. All I ever prayed for was my uh, my attitude. I never prayed for anything else. I took the 11th step literally. And then, uh, oh, heavens, it's close to nine or about nine years ago I quit praying and, and finally admitted that I was an atheist. And good Lord, how often do you hear that from the podium? So I kept quiet about it for a long time, and then I, I finally came out of the closet on that uh, at this meeting, actually, at this meeting. And then I became the token atheist for a short period of time. Oh, we need an atheist. Let's ask Ida, you know. And, and, uh, but you know what? Um, it didn't make any difference to my food, and it didn't make any difference to the quality of my program. So I'm almost out of time, um, and I wasn't planning to talk about this either. Uh, if you are having problems in staining and you're blaming step three, get over it. Just get, I don't know how else to put it. Um, if you're uh, stuck, if you're not able to write your inventory because you're stuck on step three, get over it. My first sponsor told me the only way you know you've done step three is to do four through twelve. So that's what I did. And I spent no time working the first three steps. I don't know what that means. Well, I abstain. Uh, if I'm abstaining, I have the first three steps down. And so I, I get on with the rest. I only have about three minutes left, and I I haven't told you my story at all. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll just have to have me back and remind me to tell me, you know, some, uh, something else. But I've, but it's such a boring, typical compulsive overeating story. The only thing unboring about it is the fact that I hit bottom. I made the phone call. I gave up, and I started obscene. And that has made everything else in my life possible. I have been really fortunate, but I have worked my ass off, too. I've absolutely worked my ass off. I have given a lot of service. I do, uh, and I still do. I do a lot of sponsoring. I'm completely obsessed with Overeaters Anonymous and uh, my recovery. I'm completely obsessed with my body. <laughs> I love my body. And, uh, um, and you know, I've got a whole another 40 minutes on what not to wear, but that's another story, and we'll get to, th- get to that another time. But I actually, now I don't have any time unless you've got a really quick question that I can answer in less than two minutes. Yes. You say that you're an atheist. Yes. And... Part of this program is that we believe in something more powerful than ourselves in right. the universe. So how would you describe... My higher power? Yeah. Okay, my higher power is what I turn to when I'm in trouble, and that is the process of the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And you can say you believe in God, but if you turn to food, then food is your higher power. Mm-hmm. If you turn to your husband, your husband's your higher power. That's... That's, to me, that's just axiomatic. And when I'm in trouble, I pick up the pencil 
and I write, I call my sponsor, I do the steps on it. Works every time. Yes, ma'am. Um, how do you decide how much food to eat? Oh, how did I decide how much food to eat? Oh, my God. I wouldn't. My first year, I severely underate. I only did 1,000 calories a day. And that's why I lost 100 pounds in 14 months, 80 pounds my first eight months. And I would not recommend that. But that's how I, I uh, counted calories, and if I could count the calories, I could eat it, which meant if I was counting calories, I had to weigh and measure it. They go hand in hand. Oh, and that was the other thing, telling people I was a calorie counter. Oh, my God, that's almost as bad as being an atheist in this. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, time's up. And I will tell my story next time. Thank you very much.